This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. You'll find more information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website, churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society. And today I'm joined once again by John Dunnett, the Director of Strategy and Operations for CEEC. If you're not sure what CEEC is uh, or what they do, you'll want to go back and check out last week's episode uh, where John was telling us uh, much more about the background and the makeup and the ongoing work of the Church of England Evangelical Council. Um, Today, John, we're really glad to have you with us. This is a conversation that I've been wanting to have with with somebody, and I think you are the ideal person. Uh, Ever since uh, the Renew Conference back in September, uh, there was a a discussion there, uh, a little presentation uh, of some of the the things that are going on in the Church of England and, and potential options, and a panel discussion where people were able to submit their questions through an app. And inevitably, in that kind of setting, there were about four times as many questions as there were as there was time to answer them. So what we're going to look at today um, is, well, I've got the, the first question comes up, and I think that probably sets the, the tone for, for the rest of it. What do we mean by visible differentiation? Um, so perhaps you might explain... Uh, just a little bit of the background to that, the context, why we are thinking about this thing called visible differentiation and what it might mean. Ross, thank you and great to be with you on this um, podcast. Um, I think what is probably essential to say straight off uh, is that CEC um, is not actually um, wanting or desiring differentiation. Um, If someone says to um, me in my role as CEC or to any member of um, the council, um, what do you hope and pray for? I think the answer is we hope and pray that the House of Bishops will bring to the General Synod in 2023 a proposal that sounds something like this. Um, We've listened, looked, consulted, prayed, studied scripture together, and we've come to a conclusion that what the Church of England has always had in its Um, foundational documents um, about human sexuality and marriage is absolutely right and so we want to reaffirm our commitment um, to it. That is what we're hoping and praying and working largely behind the scenes um, to try and support uh, and and encourage. So, So visible differentiation is not what we want, rather it might be as we see it a necessity if the bishops, for whatever reason, don't feel able to make that proposal, and if the General Synod, um, if invited, endorses some kind of liberalising change. That's the moment where we think the case for differentiation becomes apparent, um, because at that point, a a number of things happen. Um, One is, you suddenly find yourself in this strange world where there are contrary convictions Um, uh, And we would say some of them are not supported by scripture. So how can we be part of that? Uh, And this is a world where at a practical or parochial level, all kinds of things um, begin to unwind, which could destroy 
um, erode, certainly damage an awful lot of evangelical ministries, um, you know, leaders and churches alike. So that's the point at which the argument for differentiation becomes absolutely essential and real. Great, thank you. So visible differentiation is a, a sort of general principle that is in some way uh, those two contrary views that, that you describe um, can be shown to be separated within the Church of England. There are a number of ways that that, that might happen. And I know CEC have been doing some work over the last few years about different options for that. Could you just explain what the, the sort of preferred option is that you think uh, going forward is, is what you would advocate for and, and why that would be? Um, thank you, Ros. And um, if people want to read up on this, there is a paper on the CEC website called Guarding the Deposit that both makes the case for differentiation in the event of change um, and also scopes some of the options. Uh, and broadly speaking, those are things like informal arrangements, for example, that emulate the society that Catholics have um, through um, some of the things that we are already familiar with, including things like devolved Episcopal oversight, right through to a much more structural solution, which is based on the rearrangement of dioceses, Episcopal leadership and provinces. Now, you ask the question, what does CEC prefer? And that's a very good question. Um, and again, I think we need to distinguish between what we would prefer and what might be a practical possibility or a necessity. Because um, if you say to me, well, let, let's assume for a second that the House of Bishops does propose some change. And let's assume that General Synod endorses that change and that the change happens. Well, my my first and I'm sure this I speak for I mean you need to ask others obviously but I think I do speak for others when I say my first proposition will be well then let's make some new provision for those who want to see change so let, let's let's take a suggestion that someone's made what if the Episcopal Church of North America were invited to have a diocese in England in the same way that they do in Europe now that to be honest would be my preferred um, differentiation. Um, I suspect, being ruthlessly honest, that most liberals will say, we don't want that, thank you very much. They'll say, we don't want to be part of the Episcopal Church in England. We want to be part of the Church of England. But if the question is, what's my preferred option, that could be my answer. <laughs> um, so let's say that's not going to happen. Then I might say, well, is there some other provision we could make for liberals? Because after all, you know, it is those who want to see change who are departing from our historic position. Um, shouldn't they be the ones who embrace, you know, whatever provision is made? So let's think of another suggestion. You could at that point say, well, um, could we invent a new province in England for liberals? And this is one of the suggestions that's explored in this paper, Guarding the Deposit. Now, again, if you're asking what would we propose, well, that would be a good proposal. Um, let's say for sake, for some reason that does not gain traction. Uh, a different model would be, well, could York and Canterbury go two in, diff in two different directions? Um, or, and this is, if you like, the last thing I'm mentioning very deliberately, could there be a province for those who want to hold on to an orthodox view? And the reason why, despite what some people think, that is not what CEC is arguing for is because that means that York and Canterbury may be allowed to go more liberal and surely we would want to hold on to something of the York Canterbury inheritance. 
That's a long-winded answer, <laughs> Ros, but I hope it begins to engage with the, you know, the question. It really does, yes. Um, I must admit, uh, there is a little part of me that really loves the idea of a third province, because I believe um, it, it has been mooted that that might be Mercia. <laughs> and um, I, I live in Mercia, and I, I've long thought that should I be nominated for a... <laughs> hereditary peerage i i would like to be countess of mercia so part of me thinks that's an excellent idea i think i think the time i think the title is very fitting ross Ross, (laughs) it would suit you well and you're absolutely right mercia is the name of the province that is um uh played with in the paper guarding the deposit right because we used to have an archbishop of mercia back in the back in the day so it would be absolutely uh, sensible for us to have one again today um okay so given those sort of range of options and and particularly focusing around the the idea of two provinces we have a question here if a liberal view okay. of human sexuality is enshrined in the two provinces plan so one of them uh would would have that liberalizing agenda won't it be legitimized in the eyes of the world and of those in both provinces, how can we avoid compromising on this whilst negotiating a settlement for the future? Ros, that's a very good question and deserves um, a proper answer. Um, There are perhaps two things I might initially um, offer. Firstly, um, I mean, in terms of the eyes of the world, um, you know, relationships outside of a man and woman in marriage are already legitimised. You know, that that particular issue was lost um you know years ago if not decades ago um so so more pertinently um are we not somehow legitimizing it ourselves in something like a two province um arrangement um, and i suppose the question here and this is the second comment is so what's the alternative what is the better alternative plan um if the plan is to simply stay in the church of england that has embraced change there's then issues of conscience. Do I want to be part of a church where, you know, whose canons and doctrine now is embracing something I think is unscriptural? And there's also the very practical challenge of that at ground level. You know, what, what is going to happen in parochial appointments? What is going to happen on the ordination track? Um, all of these questions in a new Church of England that has embraced um, significant change. And, and the other thing I guess to say is looking 25 years hence, Let's just hypothesise, and again, I agree this is at the level of hypothesis, but what if Canterbury held on to its orthodox foundations and York was allowed to change? Um, It's always possible that a more liberal Church of England would not do very well, because I think the stats and the history suggest that liberal churches don't by and large grow i mean they do good things they've got good social action programs etc etc but if they don't produce young people if they don't produce the finance if they don't produce the ordinance it's possible that whatever province is liberal may not last that long in which case if we are still in the game there may be the chance um to recover um an orthodoxy in that um temporarily liberal province Yes, and I think it's also worth remembering what you said initially. This is not the preferred plan. This is the if we are in this situation and if we're in that situation where a a liberalising agenda has been agreed by General Synod, we're already in the position where effectively that that's 
been accepted by the Church of England. So what we are trying to work out is, is there a way in which we could continue to still stay but but separate ourselves from that? Um, there won't be a way at that point of saying, but we can't have the Liberals in the Church because they've already effectively, to use uh, the wrong language, won um, at that stage. So let's just move on then. Um, the next question we have, you say these are good questions. These are not my questions. I reiterate that. In what way would the proposed means of visible differentiation, including overlapping provinces, actually be visible to the watching world? So I think that's referring to the idea that in in this uh, scheme, provinces will no longer be geographically um, divided. It won't be York in the north and Canterbury in the south as it is now. But actually, wherever you are in the country, you would be able to align with the province um, that fits your theological position. So in what case, in what way then would that be visible, do you imagine? The the question of visibility is an interesting one, because to my mind, um, the Church of England itself is pretty invisible to an awful lot of people. Um, And I know that because in my former parish, um, I used to play hockey with people who said to me, you're a vicar, John, where are you, vicar? And I said, well, the church on front lane. And they said, there isn't a church on front lane. And I said, well, there was when I left it, you know, half an hour ago. Um, So it is literally invisible to a lot of people. And if you then said to people um, on the street, you know, well, this church at the end of your road um, which diocese does it belong to? They won't know what you're talking about. What province? What's a province? So already to that level, I, I think the Church of England is invisible. Um, but let's let's take a different approach. Um, wh- what do we put on a church's notice board? Um, you know, at the moment, most church notice boards might have something like the Diocese of Chelmsford um, or, or Litchfield, where you are, um, or, or whatever. Um, what would you put at that point? Well, I think our our thoughts are that um, we we need to arrange things such that you can still put your part of this particular diocese, um, but that that would probably be for practical arrangements, safeguarding and other things like that. Um, but your spiritual oversight um, and um, the, church, the um, province to which you give account would be um, something else. Um, but... I think that's a level of detail that we will need to work out. It's further down the track. But but as I started out by suggesting, I just don't think most people connect with that. Mm. The more likely problem is if someone knocks on the door and says, I hear now that the Church of England allows same-sex marriages. And the vicar in this, let's say, Canterbury province parish says well you're absolutely right the church of england does now allow that but i'm part of the church of england that does not allow that now you might say well there you are um this is not going to work my response to that is well if the church of england allows change you're going to be facing exactly that conversation anywhere but if you are not part of some kind of provisional uh, provide uh, provision providing structure um it's all on your head and you'll be eaten alive on social media yes i think that's exactly right that is the the scenario that we need to be considering is the um in all innocence gay couple who now think this is wonderful i can get married in the church down the road or um 
you know, the slightly more uh, politically aware gay couple that say, I don't think that church down the road is going to let us do this and we think they should. We're going to make this a test case. But either way, as soon as you say, no, I won't do that, you are going to be all over social media and mainstream media. And and if it is left to a matter of conscience um, or if yeah. it is left to individual PCCs to, to make that judgment, it makes ministers incredibly vulnerable to that. If you can't even rely on the support of your own bishop backing you in that, which already... And that's, that, yeah. that is a key thing, Roz, that people need to be clear about in their minds, because... Um, if simply the Church of England changes the rules and we all stay where we are, you're right. Someone knocks on my door as a vicar. I have to make that decision or I have to go to the PCC and make that decision. And we could make the decision either way. Um, now, you might say, OK, so what if, you know, but what if you're offered um, an opt out possibility? Let's say for a second, it's a third province for orthodoxy. You've still got to vote to join that province. So there's still a conversation to be had at PCC level, which could be difficult. It will not be straightforward in the case of a lot of evangelical clergy. Um, but at least once that decision's made, you can then say, well, I belong to a bit of the Church of England that is not allowed to do this. And most people knocking on your door probably won't realize that you actually had a PCC meeting where that decision was taken. So there is some defense. And your bishop in this third province, for example, would be able to say this vicar is correct. They are not allowed to do that. So there is a massive difference between those two worlds. Absolutely right. And I think, um, you know, just yeah, just no, that is absolutely right. Let's move on, I think, to the next question, because this comes to that that conversation we're talking about. How can we help our congregations and PCCs? to see the need for visible differentiation. For many, their experience of the C of E has been mostly positive. Um, and in churches, you know, many people still feel very loyal to the Church of England. So how do we help them understand why this would be a, a solution to yeah. consider? Um, there are many, many people in parish churches up and down the country who do feel very loyal to the Church of England. And I'm sure you... Rosa would count yourself as one. I certainly do myself. So I am not looking to leave the Church of England. And I don't think many of the people in our constituencies want to leave um, the Church of England. Um, I think what we've got to help them to see is how, um, how seriously difficult it will be to remain in the Church of England if change is introduced with no provision. Uh, and one practical way they can do that um, is to look at some of the films that CEC has produced this year called God's Beautiful Story. Um, because we explain to them, for example, why some kind of affirmation or blessing of same-sex relationships um, is not going to work and is going to make it problematic in local churches. And um, we explain in the um, recently published film Lessons from Elsewhere, um, you know, the, the terrible situation they will find themselves in, um, as already evidenced by what people have experienced elsewhere in the Anglican Communion. So I think this is not a case of scaremongering. This is not a case of generating fear. This is a case of saying to people, look, we, we do need to seriously ask the what if question. Mm. You know, what if this change comes through? Um, what can we learn from elsewhere? What might happen here? Um, does that add up to 
the need to pursue some kind of differentiation? And my answer would be unequivocally yes. Yes. And I think um, in some ways, maybe we've been slightly lulled into full sense of security because the living in love and faith process has taken forever and, and extended because of the pandemic and so on and so on and so on. And I, I think we may have slightly suddenly found ourselves thinking, do you know what, in less than six months, this could be the reality. Now, I don't know and you don't know exactly what we will be discussing at General Synod in February, but we know it will be something. Um, it, I think it's unlikely that things will instantly change in mid-February, but, but they may do. And certainly we may have a very good idea of how things are going and when when the next step is likely to happen. All of which is to say, within 12 months, it is very likely that PCCs are going to need to be having this conversation and possibly sooner. Um, and so if you've not started uh, to talk about that with your church staff team, with your PCC, with your church wardens, let alone your congregation, now is when you need to start um, if you didn't start a year ago. That's absolutely right, Ros. And um, if I can put it this way, because you actually haven't got to make a decision about anything if you have the conversation now. Yeah. So it's an unpressurised one. If um, something happens next year at General Synod and you are discussing these issues in the aftermath of that, you will feel under massive pressure. So be kind to yourself. Have the conversation sooner rather than later. That's really good wisdom. Absolutely. You can talk about it now without there needing to be the tension of making a, a decision. Um, so is there anything we can be doing in the parishes to show our support for the work of CEEC over visible differentiation? Um, well, thank you, Ros, for that. Um, the first thing I would encourage people to do is to sign up to the e-bulletin um, if they haven't already. And if um, if there are clergy listening to this, um, you know, to make sure that your congregations have the opportunity to, assuming, of course, that they can sign the basis of faith and additional declarations. And the reason for this is that we have set ourselves a target. We would love to have 50,000 subscribers to this um, for two very simple reasons. One is because that means we can keep evangelicals all over the country up to speed. Um, and you will be aware there are evangelicals in non-evangelical churches who don't hear what's going on otherwise. And secondly, because um, we think that um, it will be helpful for us to be able to say in the corridors of power, well, there are 50,000 people um, who um, have asked us to keep them informers because they trust us. Um, and, and what we stand for, um, et cetera, et cetera. And um, one or two folk have asked me even in the last week, um, John, what about this latest survey that's shown this or that? When is CEC going to do a survey? Um, never say never, so we may well do something. Um, but my response to that is surveys come and go. It will be much better to have a solid base of a large number of people um, who are um, taking a steer uh, and offering uh, and um, uh, requesting information from um, CEC. So the e-bulletin is crucial. Um, I also want to say, you know, we covet above everything um, people's prayers and um, do pray for CEC, for our president, for our co-chairs and um, treasurer and secretary as officers, uh, for Keith Sinclair, national director and myself, we covet um, your prayers. Um, and also, of course, financially, if anyone wants to give, they're very, very welcome to do so. You can find details. Uh, that doesn't surprise you, Ros. They can find details on the web page. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> um, I think we were talking in the last episode about how uh, CEC has kind of 
um, experienced a sort of revitalization over the last five to ten years and and it does really feel that although the work of CEC over a range of issues is really helpful and important this is a particular thing where to be able to to come together strongly and visibly with evangelicals who we might differ about all kinds of other things with but to say look no we are together on this and and the church union needs to know that um is really worth doing yeah all our church society books are available to purchase from our online website churchsociety.org forward slash shop including our new best value bundles the Ryle Collection, three hardback books featuring some of J.C. Ryle's mini biographies of Christian leaders, some of his tracts originally published by the Church Association, and examinations of his life and ministry from historians and ministers. There's the Discipleship Basics series, Walk This Way, The Blessed Life, Foundations of Faith, taking you through the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the Beatitudes, the Fruits of the Spirit, and of course the 39 Articles, all in short, easily digestible chapters, followed by questions to consider and a prayer that you can use. The Focus on the Formularies bundle includes a hardback copy of Foundations of Faith, a hardback copy of the First Book of Homilies in a modern edition, as well as a hardback copy of the Book of Common Prayer itself. The Ministry Matters collection includes four paperbacks, Confident and Equipped, The Effective Anglican, Reach, Build, Send and Feed My Sheep, which together form a brilliant collection for those starting out in ministry or perhaps a refresher for those who've been at it for some time. Find these and more on the Church Society website, churchsociety.org. Here's a question from someone, um, we just mentioned people who are evangelicals, but not necessarily in evangelical parishes. And I think this is someone in that situation. What can we do if we don't feel we have agency at this point? So we might be somewhere we're a long way from making any kind of resolution, PCC not necessarily on side. How how can you contend in that sort of situation, um, particularly, I guess, if then things change um, and you, you don't feel you're in a place where you can take your church with you into the province you want to be in? Should you just leave at that point? Again, Ros, that's a really good question because I imagine that there are a number of people who feel exactly like this. Um, I think I think what CEC would want to say is at this point, this is why things like DEFs exist, because um, if certainly if you're an Anglican minister and you feel a bit isolated and vulnerable in your parish, then I would hope that you know it's your local DEF, your diocesan evangelical fellowship that will offer support encouragement pray with you etc um, um, if you're a parishioner as against clergy um, I can imagine that gets even more difficult because if you you know if you're not on the PCC you don't have influence to, to be really blunt there may come a point where you have to say um, I, it feels to me in good conscience that I can't stay and I need to find another church 
Um, but we, we don't want that to happen. Um, and so, again, I'd say to individuals like that, well, um, sign up to our e-bulletin. Um, can we do anything to help you feel um, supported? Um, and as we head into next year and whatever changes might be forthcoming, I think there will be a question about um, membership of CEC uh, and, and what that might mean for people who feel particularly isolated in the way you're saying. Mm, I think that's right. I think it is very difficult if you um, don't have the support of your PCC and wardens. Um, I'm, I'm a big advocate for people standing and fighting, even if that may may come to mean at some point in the future disobedience um, to your bishop or disobedience to canons if you need to do that to be faithful to the Lord. Um, but that is that is very difficult if your own congregation are not, not behind you on that as well. And, and I don't think we should look at people who end up feeling that the only thing they can do is leave and, and saying they've somehow let, let us down or let the Lord down. Um, people's situation and it might yeah. be it might it might be that the, again to mention again this current series of god's beautiful story it might be that one thing evangelical clergy could do in that situation is literally sit down and watch over a period of two or three weeks those short videos with their wardens mm. just to have a conversation mm. um, because i would hope that the wardens um would see you know that it would help them to understand and to see where you are coming from as an evangelical clergy person. Yeah, I think the other thing I, I maybe would throw in there is in all the discussions that I've seen around this, there is an idea that there would be um, the possibility to move between provinces. Um, and so if you were somewhere where you felt like your church wasn't with you yet, but it was worth staying and teaching and nurturing and discipling so that maybe in a few years time you would have that level of of support where you could say okay now let's have a discussion now let's see if we want to do this then absolutely that's worth working for if you can manage with with the kind of um yeah disagreement in the in the immediate context that porous boundaries that's right be a necessary characteristical feature of any kind of um, structural differentiation um, and, and we know we know that would be necessary because we have seen evangelical clergy go into non-evangelical parishes and turn things around so yes we would we would want to see and yeah um, argue for that yeah. yeah and actually maybe a helpful point in people having discussions with their pccs that could be saying look the, you aren't necessarily committing yourself to this forever if after i've gone you want to change your mind you can have another vote about it then but for now, this is where Correct. where I would hope our church would be. And that might yeah. make it easier in some places. Yeah. OK, well, let's move on. Um, is it realistic to expect a structural two province solution to work whilst the C of E remains established and intimately involved in an increasingly secular state? Mm-hmm. So we just had quite recently, didn't we? Um, was it Brent, Ben Bradshaw, an MP, you know, publicly condemning the Church of England for not allowing same-sex marriages yet and saying that it shouldn't be an established church while it continues to have that position. I don't know whether you have any thought about that. How how could this work and would the established position of the church have an impact? 
I think it's very difficult to read the future in this regard. Um, what you can say as a matter of fact is we have what's called um, this quadruple lock at the moment. Um, so Parliament was content to grant that. Um, and Parliament could either take the view that the creation of two provinces, one liberal and one orthodox, was a step in the right direction or not a step far enough. Um, I suspect that there are others who think like um, Bren Bradshaw, but I'm not I'm not convinced that the state wants to rush in to interfere in church canon law and politics. Um, I could be proved wrong. Um, but as you can see, I'm now sounding like a typical political commentator in that I actually have no concrete information. I'm just offering a series of views. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think if they did want to, they would have rushed in to do that in uh, whenever it was. Was it 2012 that um, civil marriage started being allowed and yeah. so on? And yeah. I, I think there is a general feeling, although obviously individual politicians feel differently, that the church isn't their business um and you know although it, there is uh some interplay between church and state yeah. they don't want what, to, what it is yeah what it is worth noting is that um i've heard some people say that um again one of the knee uh, one of the arguments for the necessity of differentiation is that if you um uh are in a church of england that allows um, the blessings of same-sex relationships, but you choose not to, there is always the possibility under discriminatory le legislation that you could be challenged over that. Whereas if you're part of uh, a structural unit, diocese, province or whatever, whose canons forbid you, then, you know, it does become uh, a protected characteristic. Yes, absolutely. And that takes us back to that situation of the gay couple turning up at your door you having to say no <clears throat> you having to say no and then where does that go and one place it could go absolutely is to the courts um and you know that's not a situation any of us want to end up in um i thought this was an interesting question and i i don't know whether there's any answer to this or not the church of England is more than just its parishes it is also um responsible for a, a vast number of church schools um what what effort is being made to secure church schools what would be the role place of church schools if we were to move to a, a two province sort of situation has any thought been given to that um ros the honest answer is some thought has been given um and cec has um a, a task group working on um, education at the moment um, but whether um, the outcome of that is going to address the particular questions you've raised is still uh, at this stage unclear. Um, I, I, mean, I think we all recognise just how important these church schools are in the education economy. Um, so we would need to ask some questions about um, how we might carry them with us in a traditionalist or orthodox stream. But I think um, I think the honest answer has to be much work to be done. Yeah, I agree. And I think it will be hard because I, I think there will be very few church schools which, if it were up to them, would necessarily choose a traditionalist position. There may well be some, um, particularly where churches are closely involved in the governing body. Um, 
but yeah i think i think it's a a tricky position that we're in and there would need to be a lot of conversations about how that happened okay well yeah continue to to pray about your church Mm. school and the more you can be involved with it now the better position you'll be in if anything changes i guess and one final question then, if General Synod does make a significant revisionist step in February, so that might be allowing the blessing of same-sex relationships in church or same-sex civil partnerships in church, it might be going as far as uh, permitting same-sex marriages, uh, maybe with some kind of conscience clause um, or something in between. Um, and, you know, some of that I think would need to uh, involve actual changes in law so that you know it wouldn't necessarily happen instantly um but nonetheless i think we'd be able to tell if there was some kind of significant revisionist step what should be a first step and the suggestion is should we plan to break communion with the revisionists and the bishops i guess it says revisionists or bishops i guess revisionist clergy or revisionist bishops in our diocese would that be a first step sort of a shot across the bow, do you think? Um, Ros, as you've said a couple of times in this podcast, we don't actually know what's going to happen in February. Um, We were promised originally, quote, a clear direction of travel, end of quote. I wonder whether, um, because of the compressed bishop's timetable this autumn as a result of the death of the Queen, um, it might not be quite such a clear direction of travel. It might be um, more of a test the waters. In other words, um, Synod might be invited to express its view on a number of possibilities, which would then allow the House of Bishops to come back at a later stage with a, quote, clear direction um, of travel. Um, So let's just make sure that we don't assume Synod will endorse steps this February. But actually, that's quite helpful um, if that is the way it um, unravels, because um, that will give... Um, clergy and parishes the opportunity to have their own say with their own diocesan bishop either even if that's not what's proposed or invited so just hypothesize that february sees um the house of bishops asking the general synod would you support a b c and d um um, evangelical clergy in a parish in a diocese could write to their bishop saying um you know we we watched general synod with interest we note that the house of bishops invited opinion on the following can we um just for the sake of you know transparency and good relationship between us can we explain to you what we think um, about those four options um so that might be an opportunity to do something before this quote step end of quote um is taken um uh, and cec is is talking to DES and saying well it would be a good thing if you let your diocesan bishop in particular know what you think um, they may already but just to be absolutely unclear yes and but let's ro- uh, sorry just to interrupt mm. i want to say do that now i mean you can definitely do that after february mm. but actually the the bishops are meeting this autumn to have those discussions yep. about what to bring and i think the more we can make it clear to them now not just what we think but how seriously we take this issue and the kinds of uh consequences that might result the more helpful that is as they they shape what they might bring to synod i agree entirely with that i would say right now and right again after synod if that's what happens at synod um yeah Uh, but if we roll the clock forwards and some step 
is taken um, and there's no provision for orthodoxy in any kind of differentiation then i think the question does arise so what are we going to do at that point are we just going to you know be boiled in the pot like the proverbial frog um, or whatever uh, although ian paul did point out to me the other day that actually frogs that are in the pot jump out they don't stay in and get boiled and um, so that maybe that analogy like most and um, doesn't work but i think at that point CEC will be saying to people, well, in your context, what is it possible to do? Because you, you will need to do something. And um, we've been talking about this with DEFs. We've got a whole list of possible things that they might do. Some of our larger, better known conservative churches will be in a position to do much, much more radical and striking things. Um, uh, an evangelical clergy person on their own in a non-evangelical parish will actually be able to do far less um, but we will at that point, CEC will be wanting to generate a conversation with people saying, well, look, you can see what's happened. Um, we really do have to do something now. You ask, you ask specifically about breaking communion. Um, I, I, I mean, that's one of the options, but there are lots of other options as well. Um, to do with yeah. you know, our bishops welcome for confirmations or not. Um, are we going to participate in deanery life? Um, some people might want to direct their giving through good stewards trust and introduce financial things um uh, uh, other people might want to write letters you know there's a whole range of things that people could do and we will certainly be encouraging that conversation yeah i think watch this space absolutely um yeah. i just want to uh, say a huge thank you john for taking the time to have this conversation with us on the podcast it's been incredibly helpful in clarifying a lot of the things that are sort of out there in the the ether but but perhaps people haven't quite understood fully um, or wanting to think through some of the ramifications of that. I want to just remind everyone at the end of the first thing that you said, none of this is our preferred option and none of this is, is guaranteed to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. We are still working and praying to avoid this situation altogether. We are not an insubstantial minority in General Synod who will, will vote uh, in an orthodox way on this. There are evangelical bishops and do please be praying for them in particular to have agreed, to have agreed. great courage uh, as well as, as wisdom uh, in the discussions that are happening. Um, you know, the, this is, it does feel a little bit like we're on teetering on the edge of the precipice, but it is not yet at the stage where where we've lost our balance and fallen over. Um, so so do keep praying for that. Uh, do write to your bishops now. Uh, make sure you sign up to the CEC e-bulletin so you know what things to be praying for. Pray for your general synod reps. Um, they might be people worth contacting to encourage them, particularly if you if you know that they're orthodox or if you think they might be, just to, to encourage them uh, to stand strong. And watch this space but it is the lord who builds his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it good uh i'm not sure what's happening on the podcast next week but do tune in again to find out thank you once again john very much indeed thank you for the invitation to be here Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you are able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm-hmm.